So welcome into episode 12, week 11 of the Backroads podcast here on uh, Texas 1A. Fan man, ready to get this one started as we've got playoffs coming at you. We're going to run down the final week of the regular season. We've got a great coaching interview with Coach Cervantes over at Milford. But uh, first of all, got to welcome in my co-host who actually, I don't know, Bobby, I don't know if we call you a co-host more as you are, you are the boss around here because you are a Texas 1A fan. And that is Bobby Brown. But uh, let's get it started. I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network and PressPassSports.com. Oh, and I'm obviously Bobby Brown from Texas 1A Fan. Good Lord, Craig. Come on now. <laughs> I don't know that anybody's ever watched. Well, you know, sometimes it happens. Maybe it's because <laughs> I'm wearing a red shirt. There you go. Oh, man, do we have a lot to talk about. There's cross country. There's volleyball. There's playoffs. There's a state marching band, tons of news and notes. So I tell you what, Bobby, let's get this thing started because we're going to be here for a while. We are. So settle in, folks, and let's welcome in Coach Cervantes. Let's kick things off this week, Bobby, with our uh, coaching interview. And it's somebody we haven't had in before, which always makes me excited. And it's a head coach for a team that I think is flying under the radar, but probably shouldn't be. And that is Milford head coach, Jose Cervantes. Coach, welcome in this afternoon. Thank you all for having me. So, Coach, as you look at it, your team is getting ready for the playoffs. And uh, you've got a really good record at 8-2. and two, And I don't know that a lot of people realize that. Talk about your team, because to me, Milford's flying under the radar. Uh, you know, just fortunate uh, to be at a place with a bunch of great, hardworking kids. Our preseason schedule was okay. All right, you know, lost the close one to Union Hill, which I think they're flying under the radar as well. Uh, lost early to a really good Aquila team. Ends up not making the playoffs due to some injuries down at the end, I think. Uh, we've just played some pretty good teams well, and I think we've, we've gotten better week by week. And I think it's all the commitment to, that our kids have shown in, in the last year and a half that I've been here. Just, just working on getting better and doing things the right way. You're playing in a really tough district there in District 11. You've got Blum in there, Avalon, Covington. Talk about how you think district helped prepare you for the playoffs. Uh, definitely. Uh, yeah, every week, everybody was beating up on each other. Uh, Covington beat Blum, Blum uh, Avalon beat Blum, and stuff like that. So uh, I think it's going to set us up well for our first round against Penelope, getting ready and having some experience of some uh, tough ball games. Uh, so I think that'll be good for us going forward. And let's give some of your players some love. Talk about some of those players that have really stood out to you and, and helped Milford get to where they're at right now. Uh, you know, it starts with our seniors. We've got a great group of seniors. Our running back, Amir Newman, he weighs about 145, but he carries his pads and uh, does a great job in the weight room. For a guy that weighs 145, he can power clean 200 pounds. So uh, we're pretty proud of that. Another one, uh, his name's Shaman Rogers, but he goes by Money. Money's a, a great wide out for us. Uh, we split them out. Anytime we can get a one-on-one, uh, we really like throwing the ball to him. Other guys are our quarterback and spreader back. Corey Serrata does a good job for us. And then our our big lineman, uh, D-Man and Curtis Smith and Matthew Laura do a good job for us. All right, Bobby, we're going to have to add that one to the, to the list of names that we love out here. Money Rogers. I love that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Coach, when, when, when you look at the Bulldogs team, what do you think you need to do to be successful as you move into this bi-district game against Penelope? We've got to block well. Got to block well. Got to take care of the football. Uh, those are the two things. I think at the end of the day, all the games, regardless of what offense, what type of offense you are, what you do, everything comes down to blocking and tackling. you got to be able to block to execute your offense, and you've got to be able to tackle the opponent. So 
I think those two, those are the two things we focus on a, on a daily basis here and, and try to get better at week by week. So that's, that's what we're going to carry with us. So you're somebody we haven't talked to before. So I just want to get an understanding. So people understand who coach Cervantes is. If I'm a parent of a Milford bulldog, what kind of a coach am I getting in, in coach Cervantes? Uh, a guy that's invested full time, you know, uh, I was lucky enough to work for Coach Lee down at Strawn for six, seven years, and we had a heck of a run together. I wouldn't call him my dad. We're more like brothers. We still talk on a daily basis, bounce ideas off each other, always still playing pranks on each other all the time. When I got there, I was young. Uh, There's a lot of stuff I didn't know, I didn't understand, and he was he was hard on me, and and it just showed me the, the right way to do things and to care about kids and stuff. And not that I didn't, but it, it just made me uh, have a better understanding for it. And what they, what Milford's gotten here is uh, I'm fully invested in these kids. I'd do anything for them. Uh, we do anything and everything. Our weight room was in uh, horrible shape when I first moved here. It's still not in the best shape, but we've painted it. We've, we've done stuff. I'm a self-starter. I mean, I'm, I don't ask these kids to do anything that I wouldn't do myself. I'm hard. I am hard on kids, but at the end of the day, I always try to tell them, you know, I care about them and I'm hard on them for a reason. Life's not easy. Life's unfair. What, what I try to tell them, sometimes you you do things the right way all the time and you could run into a string of bad luck. And that's what happened to us about uh, a month ago. We lost a starter. His name's Adrian Alvarez. Uh, dislocated his kneecap at the game, we thought. And then uh, he got care flighted from three-way to Fort Worth. And, I mean, it's just a great kid. I mean, showed up all summer, was in the weight room all summer, did things the right way, and just one freak play. It's cost him his season. And uh, now the doctors have given him only a 25% chance of ever playing football again next year for his senior year. So, and that's what I try to tell the kids. I mean, life's not fair. You know, a guy that's done everything for us the right way that I would say is one of our program builders is that that happened to him, you know, and life's not fair. That's just what I try to tell the kids, you know, even in bad times, you got to be thankful for what you have. So how proud is the Milford community of this playoff game coming up here this next week? Uh, Really proud. They hadn't made the playoffs like uh, last year, like, for two, three years in a row, which is really uncharacteristic of Milford. And then last year we got in and uh, drew the hard, hard draw of Abbott right off the bat. So it was short-lived. Uh, this year there's a lot of excitement. You know, we're district champs. We're probably still going to be an underdog to Penelope based on the rankings and all that stuff. We feel good about ourselves going in. And then I just think it's uh, – this year's been kind of weird out in our region. You know, I think anybody can play with anybody. So we're excited. The community's excited. So we'll see what happens. I always like going to Milford games because you just never know what's going to happen. It's always exciting near the stands. Love it. <laughs> yes, ma'am. So, Coach, I have to ask you because anybody who's seen Texas Six and Six Man football would know who you were if they could see you. We, we've got you on a Zoom call here, and they would know who you are. But, you know, Texas Six about strong those first two seasons. How interesting to you was it having the camera crews around all the time while you're still trying to run a program there? <laughs> I really wasn't about us. I think uh, it, it was frustrating. I think at times just, uh, you know, them tapping on the shoulder, fix your mic or do this or do that, and, you know, but it was about the kids, I think, and being able to tell some of those stories that some of those kids go through. Uh, it wasn't my favorite thing in the world. And then uh, unfortunately the second season, I really had to be more in it because coach Lee was going through with what he was going through with his dad. So uh, played a bigger role, even though I didn't want to, but, uh, like I said, it wasn't for me, but I know the kids and y'all enjoyed it, but it's, um, I'm not, I'm a pretty shy guy, so not, don't like the cameras. 
<laughs> I know we've asked Coach Lee this, but do you think it did a pretty good job of explaining exactly what what kids in small communities go through and, and what a six-man program is like? Yes, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, that's something me and Coach Lee talked about when we were there. You know, he's coached so long that he's seen the same problem three or four times. It's just a different name. It's Johnny. It's Matthew. It's he's. Uh, I think, and I think all of us at these small schools go through go through it. We have the kids that you know are great kids, but don't have the the greatest home life, or we have the kids that you know have have parents that just aren't the best parents out there. We have, yeah, we've seen it all, and I think everybody for everybody to be able to see that, I think, makes them understand. Like, oh, they go through the same stuff over there as well. Well, Coach Cervantes, we can't thank you enough. You're you're one of those uh, coaches that help lead those young men down the right path, and we can't thank you enough. Best of luck to the Milford Bulldogs in the playoffs, and uh, we'll be uh, be looking forward to seeing you down the road. Yes, sir. Thank you all. Thank you all for everything you all do for our guys at 1A. We, we really appreciate it. Man, that was another great interview there, Bobby. Coach Cervantes, uh, he is definitely invested in the kids, and uh, you can see it. I mean, look at the program, 8-2 and two this season. Yes, he has done a fantastic job over at Milford. And when I found out that he was going to Milford as their head coach, I knew he would. I mean, most people who've been with Dwayne Lee that long, um, they come out with some great knowledge and uh, do a really good job. Well, Coach Cervantes was on a bye week uh, last week, which uh, I'm sure to a point he probably likes a little bit to uh, get healthy at the same time. It, I'm sure it, as a coach, he's like, no, let's just keep this thing going. But uh, so Milford on a bye week, but uh, they are in District 11 there in Division One. So let's just start in the top 10 in Division One, And we'll begin at the top. Westbrook, no problem with the Yellow Hammers. Oh, yeah, they're from Rotan. 48 to 2, Brandon Larson. 74 yards rushing on only four carries, had two touchdowns, and Connor Holt, 72 yards rushing and a touchdown. Number two, Knox City, all over Spurs, 72 to 26. Uh, number three, Abbott takes out Golson, 46 to nothing. Riley Sistala, uh, eight carries, six of those went for scores. That's being uh, pretty efficient, I would say. 73 yards rushing out of that. And the big man, Joy Pavelka, two receptions, four 70 yards. Number four, Gordon over Perrin Witt, 60 to nothing. Riley Reed, five carries, three of those go to the house, 131 yards rushing. Striker Reed, three carries, 30 yards, two touchdowns, and a 55-yard receiving touchdown. Number five, Borden County over Grady, 50 to nothing. Number six, Whiteface over O'Donnell, 48 to nothing, and an impressive win there for the Antelopes. Jonesboro over Evant, 62 to six. Number eight, Miami. They get a district title for the first time in a really long time. Uh, they take out White Deer 45 to nothing. Hayden Thompson, 5 of 10 through the air, 129 yards and a touchdown. 82 yards rushing, three scores. And Micah Henshaw, talk about players who the ball just finds them. Two interceptions, and I honestly don't know for sure the uh, the total count, but I would tell you, Bobby, Mike is approaching somewhere near 20 interceptions, and he's only a sophomore uh, when you talk about it over two years. So uh, just one of those kids at the ball seems to find him. Holy cow, he's got like a magnet embedded in him somewhere. <laughs> he does, because if I remember right, I think he had 10 interceptions last year, and he he's uh, getting close to that again this year. Number nine, Rankin over Garden City, 60-12. to 12. And number 10, Happy takes out Claude, 52-6. to 6. Cutter Hodges, 108 yards rushing, three touchdowns. Noe Juarez, 6 of 8, 124, three touchdowns through the air. Also had 96 yards rushing and a touchdown. So there's the top 10 in Division One, as you can see. 
all of the ranked teams won, and for the most part, they won a very handily, taking care of business, uh, which will set up the playoffs. And we're going to talk a lot about the playoffs coming up, but uh, let's move down to Division Two, where it was Benjamin all over Kroll, 56-8, to eight, and uh, Benjamin's got things rolling. Grayson Rigdon, 143 yards rushing in this ballgame, had a couple of yard, uh, couple of rushing touchdowns. He also had a 24-yard fumble return and began the second half with a 65-yard kickoff return in this one as uh, Benjamin is rolling on all cylinders. Should be interesting to see what they do in the playoffs. Austin Hernandez for Kroll. And that, that is a name that I don't think people understand is how good Austin Hernandez is over for the Wildcats. 20 carries, 137 yards for uh, Coach Parsley and his Wildcats. That's a good player there and uh, one that I don't think gets enough attention, Bobby. No, I don't think so either. Well, let's keep going on down uh, the uh, top 10 in Division Two. Number two, Jayton, no problem with the Rangers from Patton Springs, 56 to nothing. Klondike rolling over Wilson. Number three, the Cougars, 56 to nothing. Number four, Oglesby takes out uh, Buckholtz, 62 to nothing. There's a theme here, Bobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm going to skip and I'm going to come back. Cherokee takes out Lone, 58 to six. It was Newcastle over Forsberg, 48 to nothing. And Coach Archer sent us stats. I'm proud of him. Isaac King, 85 yards rushing and four touchdowns, 65 yards passing and a touchdown. And London Martinez, four carries, 49 yards and a touchdown. I'm going to harass Coach Archer the next time I see him. But uh, <laughs> that's You neither. know what? <laughs> I've, I've got to say, though, that this season, since we're through with regular season, I want to give a huge shout out to every single coach who was very consistent in, or or even just sent us stats one time i mean you know on this podcast people listen to it kids love to hear their stats i'm sure other coaches like to hear those stats too because then they can pick out kids to to really you know exactly you know but thank you thank you thank you for all of you who sent those stats to us on a weekly basis i can't tell you how much we appreciate it yeah, no, no doubt there. The final game in Division Two, maybe the game of the week in a six-man football, and that was number six Amherst and number seven Whit Harold doing battle, and it was Whit Harold taking out Amherst, forty-six to thirty-two. Bobby, we knew that was going to be a close one, and it ended up being one. But both of those teams, that that is that is a heck of a one-two combination there, uh, in uh, District Two. It really is, and we broadcast that game, and I knew several people who were there, and it just went back and forth, and um, Amherst just couldn't stop Whit Harrell's offense at one point. That's a very respectable score, and we knew it was going to be close, and and before the game, someone asked me, who's going to win that game, and I really couldn't say. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't either. I really wasn't for sure, and you know, that score 46 to 32, I think is very indicative of what what happens when two really good teams play each other in six man football, the uh, persona that, you know, it's just basketball on a football field and everybody running up and down and scoring like crazy. No, when you get two really good teams, they both have good defenses and it becomes about how opportunistic you can be on offense, getting turnovers. And you see that 46 to 32, that is the type of really good football games we see in six man football. Oh, totally agree. And I think everybody would agree with you. But I think that what's going to happen here in the next couple of weeks of the playoffs, we're going to see a lot more games like that, Craig. 
We definitely will. Hey, let's go through some other scores out there that impacted districts. Uh, in Division One, Spring Lake Earth over Crest 70-28. to 28, So Earth gets the number one seed. Crest gets the number two. Follett takes out McLean 70-14. to 14. Follett picks out the uh, number two seed out of that district. It was Highland over Roby 54-8. Cooper Bowen, six carries, 61 yards, and four touchdowns. Also had a 56-yard receiving touchdown. And Braxton Smith, two of four, 85 yards and a touchdown. Also rushed for 91 yards and a score as well. Penelope, man, what a ball game between Penelope and Coolidge. And it was the Wolverines coming out on top of the Yellow Jackets, 50 to 48 in a game that was back and forth all night long. It was. And, you know, early, I think what helped um, was that Penelope pretty much punched him in the mouth from the get-go. And I think that caused Coolidge to say, whoa, whoa. And and then they finally started catching back up. And and by the end of the game, it was it was a battle. Well, it, it the scoreboard definitely shows that the Wolverines, I guarantee you, surprising some people making the playoffs. And that's who Milford's going to get. But they take down Coolidge 50 to 48. We talked to Coach Bragdon last week and his Union Hill Bulldogs take care of business this week. Uh, they defeat uh, Campbell 54 to nothing. Devin Espinosa, three carries, 40 yards, and two touchdowns. E.J. Mowry, the freshman there, three of three, 89 yards and a touchdown, also had 82 yards rushing and two scores. Another playoff uh, deciding game, it was strong. We mentioned Coach Lee with uh, Coach Cervantes there. They take out Goldberg 70-24 to in a game to me that I thought would be a little bit closer, but the Greyhounds really poured it on in this one. Oh, they did, and I was watching that score with, with bated breath the whole time because – you know, Strawn was ahead, and then they would inch more ahead and more ahead. And by the time, I mean, actually, if you look at this, you don't think that the, it was really close. But Strawn was not that far ahead in the second quarter. And then all of a sudden, Strawn caught another gear, and off they went to the races. <laughs> and poor Goldberg uh, just stumbled behind. And Strawn Greyhounds actually sneak in and secure that second spot and who told you that was going to probably happen at the beginning of the season craig uh, that would be bobby brown <laughs> that's right because i've been telling people everybody has texted me shocked that strawn got in and i'm like why are you shocked you should never be shocked when that happens ever never bet against Dwayne lee no that would other, be a horrible bet. <laughs> it, it would be. Other scores out there, Ira and Hermley. And, boy, this game was close for a long time, but Ira pulls it out 54-36, to 36, so they move into the playoffs. Because otherwise, we'd have had a flat-out mess in that district. It, it was going to be a mess, but the way they do their point system in that district, Hermley didn't have a chance, even if they 45'd Ira. And that 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 is the fun part, or – I, I guess it depends on which side of the coin you are on that on the uh, the scoring uh, playoffs there and how that how that works because uh, just so folks understand, uh, most districts either have fifteen and seventeen or twenty four point tiebreakers uh, if they have a a three team tiebreak and you can get up to fifteen, seventeen, or twenty four points, but that's where you cap. So even if you forty five a team, you only get those certain number of points, and that it just they take those three teams and see who see who is where. Uh, each other is at and so uh, it can be very interesting i had to uh, calculate a few of those up here myself and uh, it can it can get 
you can get convoluted and sometimes you figure out that you're just not very good at math. <laughs> I was going to say, you're going to have to do a lot of math sometimes to figure that out. So kids in school, if you ask, when am I ever going to use this? Well, if you're a coach, you might use it to calculate playoff points. So there you have it, Craig. No doubt there. Uh, Erion County over very best, 86 to 38. The Hornets in the playoffs. Uh, Silverton gets the forfeit against Headley, one to nothing. And Coach Hearn there, his squad is now going to go a month before they get ready to take on Amherst, which we'll talk about. And I know he's not thrilled about that, but uh, just the way that the schedule worked out. Uh, Paint Rock takes out Panther Creek, 48 to 2. It was Avalon over Blum, 60 to 14. Menard and Eden in a rivalry battle, and uh, this one started out more as a tearjerker as uh, Coach Campbell, one of the coaches there for Menard, lost his wife unexpectedly the night before he was still on the field, Bobby. Uh, both teams met in the middle of the field. They said a big prayer with him, gave him big hugs, and you know that's one of those, no matter how much rivalry games go on, both schools embrace each other in tragedies like this. That is right. And, you know, our hearts and our prayers go out to that, to Coach Campbell, his family, and the whole community. Um, that Highway 83 rivalry is is something else between Menard and Eden. But, you know, like you said, once these things kind of happen, um, they all come together as a community to offer support and solace. They do. So Menard wins that one 38 to 32 over Eden. And then the last game I want to talk about was quote unquote, the, uh, I guess you would call it the title for the outlaw bowl or who, who's the best outlaw team out there. And uh, it was the number one and number two teams uh, in sixmanfootball.com as far as independent rankings go. And Booker in their first year down takes out Weatherford Christian 70 to 58 Safe to say the Kiowas are thrilled to have made the move from class 2A to six-man. Yes, and you know, there was another one between Rungi and Benavides. Rungi came out on top on that one. I really don't know the score. I just know that Benavides was very happy to have played. Um, I think I read somewhere where in the last six years they may have won three district games, but this year they doubled that number as wow. far as winning six-man games. So, um, I think it's safe to say that Benavides is very excited to be in the six-man ranks and welcome Rungi. You know, they switched over to six-man uh, the second week of the season and um, they've been playing really well. And um, I I look for those two to join us when realignment strikes in, let's see, when do we get the list? In February, I think it is. Yeah, we get the list. The cutoff is going to come out next month in December, and then the list comes out in a February. Um, and, and I don't want to derail the show too much, but a snapshot day, obviously a big topic for a lot of coaches. Uh, looking at things, and uh, there's only like 10 teams or so that I still don't have enrollment numbers on, but uh, I talked to uh, our good buddy Lehman Saunders as well. We are pretty sure the cut line is going to end up at 61 and a half. That is our best guess. That would pretty much split uh, Division One and Division Two into equal number of teams. I will throw this out there to you, though, Bobby. What I would love to see the UIL do is put the cut uh, more along 62 and a half so we get a couple of more teams because there are several schools with an enrollment of 62 down in Division Two because oftentimes we see those Division Two schools 
where teams have to forfeit because they don't have enough players. I'd love to see us stack the districts maybe just a little bit more so that if you do end up with a forfeit, you're still getting a certain number of games. That's just my opinion, but I think that would help. Uh, so you don't have a situation like uh, Silverton's running into where they go a month uh, before playing a game, and here are the playoffs. Um, exactly right. And and to think, you know, let's see, who is it? Dawson didn't have a team because they didn't have enough and last buddy. And so there are several out there that couldn't host a team. And that really does kill their districts because, um, you know, Dawson was in Klondike's district and there was two weeks in a row that Klondike didn't play before they played Wilson. And I was afraid they were going to be rusty. Um, but it seems like Klondike is a team that needed some rest and they have come back like gangbusters and they didn't look rusty at all. So, um, you know, sometimes it hurts you and sometimes it helps you. It does. And I, I think the UIL would have a good idea. Uh, it's generally the same schools that we've seen over the last five to 10 years that that have trouble uh, with enrollment numbers or number of players. So I think they could take a look at that and and maybe do a little bit of manipulating. I know they try to get a computer to really help them do those things, but I think at a point you also, especially at the six-man level, you need to kind of take a look from a human eye perspective uh, and, and try to uh, figure something out. But that's just my opinion. Personally, I think the cut line is going to be at 61 and a half. We divide the two uh, groups out, roughly 76 teams in each. But uh, we'll find out next month for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's coming quickly. <laughs> it is very much coming quickly. Well, I tell you what, before we get to the playoffs, let's get to some of our notes because we've got some good ones out there. And uh, I'll get us started, Bobby. I'm going to start uh, with our second note here, and that is the Penelope Wolverines. And we talked about them. They're making their first playoff appearance in 13 years, getting ready to take on Milford. Uh, so good luck to the Wolverines there in by district. Oh, let's not forget about St. Joe. St. Joe's going to play Gordon on Thursday at Weatherford High School. But they have a kicker that we have highlighted in the past on the podcast. Her name is Kyler Dunn. She has been the Panther kicker for four years. She is a senior, and she is awesome because just last week on Friday, October 27th, she broke a St. Joe's school record for longest field goal when she converted a 31-yard attempt. So congratulations, Kyler. You have been kicking for four years, and you've been doing a great job. Congratulations on that St. Joe school record. That is awesome. Uh, Union Hill, they won their eighth consecutive district title last Thursday night. So congratulations to the Bulldogs, and congratulations. We talked about Silverton. They won their first district title in 15 years. Oh, wow. That's cool. I love it when they – when a team is is finally seeing some success um speaking of sp success uh, coach mike reed at gordon celebrated his 200th game win on friday night the longhorns are undefeated this season and our district champs so congratulations to coach reed on this awesome milestone another coach in Division One, who celebrated a milestone is Coach Clint Lindman, just down the road here at Whiteface. He won his 100th career game this past week. The Antelopes are also undefeated and district champions this season. So congratulations to Coach Lindman on this milestone. Great job, guys. Most definitely. And then our final uh, 
couple of notes here, and uh, I'll, I'll let you do the broadcasters from Garden City because I don't want to butcher the last name here, Bobby, but you want to talk about a lot of years behind the mic. Oh, yeah. The Garden City community members honored two of their announcers, their game announcers. Delmer Botla and Travis Pate have been announcing Bearcat football for many years. And when I say many, I'm talking a whole lot. Mr. Botla began in 1972 and Mr. Pate joined him in 1982. So Garden City honored them this past Friday for their many years of service, as they should have. And um, the cool thing about these two guys is they are wonderful conversationalists. And we lovingly here at Texas 1A Fan call them the flip phone guys. (laughs) That is outstanding. Well, last note we've got here before we get to the playoff pairings and talk about those is I know you want to give a shout out to Armando Vega, Vega Trucking there from Amherst. And I'll let you uh, tell the folks why. He contacted us. Uh, we were we were set to broadcast the Amherst and Whit Harrell game, and he contacted us and, and asked if he could sponsor us. Um, and it has always been our policy here at Texas 1A Fan that this is our passion. And we don't accept money because, you know what, six-man communities have a hard time um, funding some of the many activities their their small schools have. So I explained that we would never take money, and if we couldn't do it, we would stop doing it because of money. And so he decided that he, he loved that so much that he was going to give the donation that he had set aside for to sponsor us to the Amherst uh, Athletic Fund. And I am so excited. Thank you, Armando from Vega Trucking for doing that. Um, it's an excellent idea. I know that schools are constantly doing uh, fundraising uh, things for, for raising money for their activities. So I just thought, you know what, maybe I'll, I'll say let Armando start a movement and if we're coming to cover you, if you feel strongly about sponsoring us as um, Mr. Vega did, go ahead and give the money that you would give to us and give it to the school for their activity fund. Well, that is a great job there by uh, Mr. Vega. And we do appreciate that. And you're right. It is about the love of what we do here, not about the money. And uh, we want to make sure people understand that they yeah, could we make some money? We could, but for us, it's about uh, just highlighting six-man communities and players and, and showing our passion just as those players and coaches and community show their passion. Exactly. Even though we're not from every single town, we love every single town, and we really want those kids to shine. That we do. Well, speaking of shining, let's get to it, and let's get to the playoff pairings. And since we were talking about Amherst, we'll just start in Division Two, Bobby, and Kind of what I want to do is we won't go over every single matchup because I don't know that everybody wants to be here for that long. But I think what we need to do is kind of give our impressions on on what we see out there and um, maybe give the folks a, a couple of teams to watch for. And then maybe if we feel like there's a dark horse in a region, uh, that as well. So I'll, I'll kick us off here. They're in uh, Region 1 in uh, Division 2. This thing is loaded with some really quality teams in it. 
I like Klondike and, and Whitherell in this one, but I do think if there is an underdog team coming out of here, and I know where you're going to go, but I'm going to go the opposite side. I think the winner of Silverton or Amherst is the dark horse uh, coming out of this region. Ooh, you think that either Silverton or Amherst is going to win region one. Is that what you just said? Well, I'm just saying if there's a if there's a dark horse, I, I like Klondike or Whitherell to win this region. But if there's a dark horse that we're not looking at, I like it to be Silverton or Amherst. Okay, so that's why I, I repeated what you said, because I didn't understand it that way at all. Because uh, I was like, are you crazy? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, that's my that's my Sunday phrase. Are you crazy? <laughs> um, you're right. You know, Amherst. And Silverton, that's going to be a great matchup. And and I I am going to go ahead and agree with you on that since now I understand what you're saying. But um, it's going to be a lot for them to do that. But you know what? That's why we play the game because you never know. And, and Craig, you know that someone always jumps up and shocks somebody in the playoffs every single year. They do. And, and you know, it, it, whether you like it or not, injuries a lot of times can play a big part of that. And so can turnovers. And that is the two things you cannot predict when you get in the playoffs. That is correct. You can't. And and they can happen in a split second, which we absolutely hate. We've talked about this many times before. We hate it when that happens. But you know what? Um, unfortunately, that's sometimes that's what happens. Uh, we hate it, but but you gotta gotta look at those things. That you do. They're in region two, uh stacked as well. I think Benjamin and Jaden are the odds-on favorites to come out of this one. Everybody's looking forward to a state quarterfinal matchup there. If there's a team that could jump up, though, and potentially surprise some folks, I'd like Newcastle to be that team. I think you're right. Uh, Newcastle has played very well this season. They have really flown under the radar. Uh, we joke because Coach, we I know Coach Archer doesn't want us to say that out loud anywhere, but here we are saying it out loud anyway. <laughs> But yeah, Newcastle, they have some very good players and they're playing really, really well together. Again, look, they're strong sitting there. No, oh, they they are. And, and they and they took care of business against Goldberg. I mean, they took care of business. And you never know when they're gonna jump up. I mean, it's just a uh, there's a lot going on in region two. Let's put it that way. There is. Uh, I promise you, Coach Stanilan is not thrilled about having to match up with Kroll in the first round either. That That's a, a big-time, uh, heavy-duty battle as well. Moving down to Region 3, and when you look at this one, as much as I want to try to find some folks here, I really think Oglesby is the odds-on favorite out of this region. But Iredale might be a team that people need to keep an eye on. I think you're right. And, you know, who was it that was telling us that? That was Coach... That was Coach Dixon, wasn't it? I think so. I think it was. He was telling us, you know, you got to look out for Iredell and and look at that. There they are, the winner of District 12. But another team that I really haven't heard a lot from, and, and we know that they're good every year because Coach Johnson does a fabulous job over at Calvert. But the Trojans have been really quiet this year. So I don't know really how that's going to come out, but um, Iredell's sneaking up on some people, and I, I agree about the Dark Horse uh, title for them. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. Region 4, and, you know, it's funny because 
it's easy to sit here and look at this region and go Richland Springs, Cherokee, matchup number two, two district competitors in the state quarterfinals. But my dark horse team, I don't know if you want to call them a dark horse, but it is a team getting healthy. And I guarantee you nobody wants to play them in the playoffs. And that is Lorraine. You're right. You're right. I think AJ Williams is is getting healthier every week. Um, I do know that they had a hard time with Blackwell. What was that, two weeks ago? Right. Um, but Blackwell almost took it, but they had a hard time with them. So how many times have we seen a team turn completely around in two weeks' time? We have. And, and we do know that Lorraine, at, at points in this points in time in this season, were missing as many as five starters. And that's, that's tough to overcome. So to a point... <laughs> Their football season is just now getting started. I know they did lose, I think, one starter for the year to injury, but they're, for the most part, getting back healthy. You know, does the ability for players who weren't going to get as much playing time get some playing time, help them down the road? We're going to find out, but I just think with A.J. Williams, Lorraine becomes a scary team to have to tackle in the playoffs. I, I totally agree because he's A.J. himself is just hard to tackle. He is. I can't imagine the other kids – who have played in the hurt players stead and has have done a, a pretty good job. I mean, yeah, they haven't won a lot of games, but again, you know, when you face adversity like that as a team, it makes you stronger. It does. Let's go up to division one now, and we'll, we'll begin in region one. We'll just work on one through four. Uh, region one is an interesting region. And yes, I call the happy Cowboys in that one. And, and I call it uh, interesting because there's just a lot of firepower here, but yet I'm, you know, the odds on favorite is obviously the Knox city Greyhounds and everybody's been looking at them, but you know, I think happy's really good. I think Miami's really good. And I think a dark horse team in this uh, setup could be either spring like earth but don't look past Follett either. Happy is going to have a heck of a ball game with the uh, the the Panthers on Friday night there in White Deer. You're right, they are. But I think maybe we've forgotten something. Valley played Knox City extremely close. You can't you can't knock out the Valley Patriots just yet. And I I don't know why I feel the need to say this, Craig, but. You know, we're just talking heads. Everybody's probably sitting there just yelling at their whatever they're listening to this podcast. Talk about my team. Yeah, that's right. We love all of them, but we're just trying to, you know, we're trying to talk through some of this stuff based on what we've seen the past, what, 11 weeks. So Exactly. And so uh, much change because, you know, they're in region one. Miami's undefeated. A lot of people probably in the state don't realize that. And Miami is one of those teams that, no, they haven't had the strongest of schedules. And that's what people look at and go, was this team for real? Real? Well, I can tell you they're for real. Does the fact that they haven't had to play some of these tougher teams, though, does it hurt them in the playoffs? That, to me, is a legitimate question. But that's a really good team. And you just, you know, you look at it, happy. Can they take out Follett in the first round? That's going to be a really tough matchup. Then you get Knox City most likely in the second round. Knox City's standing there going, look, we're ranked number one, number two all season long. There is no other question. We are the favorites coming out of this region, and that's hard to deny, but it is going to be a very competitive region in my opinion. I think so too. I think this one's a crapshoot. Now, if Knox City was playing like they were earlier in the season, it wouldn't be. 
but I feel like there's they've like kicked like maybe it kicked open the door just a tiny bit and someone might just jam that door right down their throats. So uh, don't be surprised if something like that happens because region one, you're right. It's a mess that this thing could go anyway. It definitely could. Uh, we'll move down to region two and it is hard to sit here and go. Anybody's getting out of this region other than the Westbrook Wildcats ranked number one in the state, been one, two, three, somewhere in that vicinity all year long. Obviously lost the first game of the year from Knox city, which just seemed to tick them off uh, more than anything. And the Wildcats have been playing crazy ever since. But a team that you told me about at the start of the year, and I don't know that we actually put that on the air, but you, I know you told me behind the scenes, you said to watch out for Coach Ritchie uh, and the Borden County Coyotes. And well, guess what? You better watch out for the Borden County Coyotes and a team that I talked about that people better watch out for as we headed into this thing was the Whiteface Antelopes. Well, guess what? Here we are. Whiteface, Borden County, Westbrook. I think Whiteface, I would call them the dark horse. I, I like Westbrook and Borden County, but man, what a competitive region this will be with those three. It really will be. Uh, and I haven't seen Buena Vista, uh, but it seems like the winners in this region right here are incredibly good. This might be a crapshoot. I mean, Westbrook may believe that they've got it all sewn up, but again, someone's going to jump up and surprise somebody. <laughs> No, no doubt there. Well, and, and, you know, you talk about surprising somebody. We talk about those teams. We're overlooking a team that's been in the top 10 for most of the year, and that's ranking just because they've got to play Westbrook first round. What a matchup is that one going to be? It's going to be a really good matchup because, remember, uh, they played Westbrook earlier in the season, and they didn't score anything. I mean, Westbrook just totally destroyed them. However, We've gone through about, what, eight weeks since that happened. That's two months. You can grow a lot and become much better and much more successful in two months. So uh, that might be a, a much better game than what everybody is anticipating. So keep your eye on that one. Down in Region 3, it's pretty easy to say that everybody is keeping an eye out for Gordon and Abbott in the state quarterfinals. They are the heavy favorites, but to me, if there is a, a dark horse or a wild card team in this one, it may be Union Hill. Undefeated, as we talked about with Coach Bragdon, they're not going to roll over in this region. No, no, they're not, and I don't think many people have seen what they've got. I'm going to have to wholeheartedly agree with you on the Union Hill dark horse um, title because, you know, everybody's been talking about Gord, Gord, Gordon, Gordon, Gordon few people are talking about Abbott um, and then here comes Union Hill they're undefeated and district champions and and it's not like they've played a tiny schedule or anything so uh, region three should be very interesting as well yes it should be and a game and we've talked about it a couple times Milford Penelope is going to be a great first round matchup there as, as a bad uh, by district game Oh my gosh, I know. I I can't wait. Uh, we're going to have a photographer at that game, and I am so glad that David is going because um, he's going to get to see a heck of a ball game. He will. Finally, we'll finish things off in Region 4. Um, and when you look through this, it it there's not a lot of big names down there. Jonesboro, I think, is the odds-on favorite to come out of that region. Uh, as you look through this thing, May... Um, 
believe it or not, as the runners up to Jonesboro might be the other team that uh, people look at. I struggle to find a dark horse in this one, Bobby, because everybody else that we talk about outside of Jonesboro and May, I think to a point are dark horses because it is a wide open region behind Jonesboro. I think you're right. And those two, like you said, are in the same district. Um, and so they are battle tested. I really don't know about a dark horse in here. Maybe Erion County or even Leverage Chapel. I've heard uh, rumblings of they're pretty they're pretty solid. But the one thing in this region that I really want to talk about is the distance between Chester and Medina. Medina is on the northwest side of San Antonio, and Chester is on the Louisiana border. Can you imagine <laughs> where? They're going to meet to play. I mean, it looks like I got the map up here and they could meet in Brenham or Bastrop or College Station or, I mean, any of those areas in there. But that that's a haul, Craig. <laughs> that That is a haul. If it, neither team can decide on where they want to meet at, you know, sometimes we see this where they can't decide on a, a neutral site as far as distance between the two. And so they'll, like, find this uh, – third part of the triangle where they'll go to that well that would find them in amarillo <laughs> i'm telling you that this triangle is like the whole state of texas but uh <laughs> i saw that and i was like i mean i knew where chester was but when you actually see it on a map it's it's ridiculous that's that's the biggest haul i think they win the trophy for the longest road trip for a bi-district game <laughs> No kidding. Whoever wins that one should get to two points for a victory in that one, not just one, because uh, just to make that long uh, road uh, is is going to be something. That's And you know what's funny is that is the only game uh, for location, date, and time that I'm missing out of all of Division One and Division Two. And you know what? There's a very good reason for it. I'm wondering if they can find a place, so. Well, you know, and, and, and we kind of joke about it, but you got to wonder if the coaches from Medina and Chester are looking at this and struggling to find a six-man field because, you know, that's what they'd prefer to get. But there's a lot of 11-man schools that do not want to paint the lines for a six-man uh, football game. And so that, especially down south, they're just not used to doing that a lot. Uh, up here, we see it a lot more because they're used to, to, bigger, uh, to the smaller schools asking. But you wonder if that's an issue they're running to as well. Well, that's true. And you know, I'm looking at this, and the tip of the top of the triangle would be somewhere around Waco, and, you know, there's Aquila. There's like 27 different six-man teams up there. Abbott right. are up there. There's a whole bunch of teams up there. So if they do choose to go to the fat, I mean, it would be a fat triangle if you drew it that <laughs> low. But, <laughs> you know, there'd be they'd have their pick as long as those teams aren't also in the playoffs on that same day. So okay. they have they have a Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Right now, we only have one Saturday game. Um, the rest are on Thursday and Friday, but that Saturday game is Leverage Chapel, Chapel uh, versus Lakey, which is a drive in and of itself. But they're going to meet in Zephyr. Well, wow, that's that's a good that's a good ball field there. I I like that uh, that uh, stadium there in Zephyr. That's a good looking place. It really is. So, um, uh, yeah. So back to Region Four, I. Jones, I got Jonesboro in May, and other than that, I just really don't know. But I know that these people have to drive a very long way to see a football game. <laughs> that they do. So there, there's our take on on uh, 
the uh, state playoffs as they get started. You talked about it Thursday, Friday, Saturday, this coming week. And we've got a ton of broadcasts that are going to be coming at you here on Texas 1A Fan. So just go to the uh, webpage and 1AFan.com. You can check out the broadcast. We've got a ton of them coming at you. And we'll get as many of those games uh, for you to listen to as we can. Yeah, that's true. Um, before, uh, Stephen and John haven't quite decided where they're going yet, but everybody else has. And we're covering, let's see, nine games right now. That's and awesome. We might add we might add two more on Saturday uh, or one more on Saturday. We may go to that Saturday game. I don't know if we'll be able to make it, um, but we're going to try to get to Zephyr. We will be on in Zephyr on um, Thursday night. So, awesome, awesome. Well, let's turn our attention. Let's move to cross country because we just had the state cross country meet go on, and a couple of notes. Uh, on the state cross-country meet as, as we get through the uh, individual title winners for boys and girls. But a note that we forgot to mention last week involving Martinsville. Yeah, those Martinsville girls, their cross-country girls team made school history because they advanced a team for the first time to state cross-country. So congratulations to the Martinsville Lady Pirates. Great job and keep working hard. Um, another um, first is Slidell Boys Cross Country Team. They won the state title in cross country this year, and it was the first time in school history. Uh, so congratulations to Slidell. Yeah, Slidell, that that was a great one-two uh, finish there from Slidell and Jayden. It came down, I mean, just a couple of points separated the two, and what a finish there in the boys. Slidell taking first, Jayden two comstock three miller gray miller grove four and guess what zephyr we talked about them with a great uh, football stadium there they come in in fifth yes and you know i have to say this because it made me laugh um one of the media outlets i saw a article about the slidell uh, cross-country team which was very well well uh written but they called jayton a rival to Slidell, and I'm thinking they're bleeding that over from basketball, and I don't know that I would call it a rivalry. I mean, they're hundreds of miles apart, so I mean, I just thought that was that was funny that they would have put that in a cross country um article. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt there. Uh, as far as the state individual winners in a cross country, our state gold champion. Sebastian Talamantes from Comstock ran a 1625.1. You have to tell me with this one, Bobby. Riker Havila. Havila, I think. Havila from Miller Grove. He got second. Jose Ventura from Lasara got third. Landing Cobb at Grayford fourth. Christian Gonzalez from Sulphur Bluff finished fifth. Austin Magnus at Paint Rock. He was sixth. Wiley Gaskins from Sands. The Mustang got seven. Cole Finhouse from Fayetteville eight. Isaac Renteria from Goldberg, nine, and Brandon Timms from Run TMC, McMullen County at number 10. Yes, and well, let's just flip over to the girls' side, shall we? Oh, my goodness. We we definitely do, and we'll talk about the top five girls' teams. And, you know, Jaden is the uh, bridesmaid on the girls' side as well as Roby surprises, I think, everybody and takes the state title. They really did. I mean, shoot, they had, what, three in the top ten? That's incredible. Uh, Roby gets number one, uh, followed by Jayton, then McMullen County, then Spring Lake Earth, and number five was Eula. 
Roby won this one in a runaway. They they really did. They they went in like game busters and they just they took down that team trophy like nobody's business. Uh, but the top 10 state individuals, number one, I think we all know who that is, Miss Tatum Goodman of Spring Lake Earth. She ran an 1120.1, and that was her fourth state cross-country title consecutively. And you know what, Craig? No one has done that in the UIL, all of the running of cross-country in 30 years. Exactly, and she's only the third all-time to do it. Isn't third. that crazy? That's crazy. It just tells you how difficult it is to come up and compete and win as a freshman and to carry that all the way through your senior year. Here's another one with Tatum. Her four times at state are the four fastest times in 1A history. Talk that, about domination. My gosh, she's just competing with herself. I mean, at this point, she was just incredible. I love watching Tatum run. And you know what? It was so funny because as soon as I saw her time, I thought, man, I can't wait to, to until track hits, what, mid-February, 1st of March, so I can see her run again. That's how exciting it is to see her run. Yeah, if, if, anybody's, if nobody's ever seen her run, it is definitely worth it and you know, a lot of times people look at it and they go, I don't want to watch the mile. I don't want to watch two mile. I don't want to cross country. That's just a bunch of people running. No, no, no. She takes this at a whole different level. It, it is a sprint from the beginning. It is hilarious because a lot of people, if they've never seen her run, they're like, oh, that girl's going to die. What is she doing? It yeah. never stops. It no, never no. She just keeps going. Keeps going. <laughs> She's like she, Energizer Bunny. She is. She won state by 39 seconds over her regional uh arrival there i guess you'd call jace chisholm that from Jaden. uh jace gets second chastity benson from roby we talked about the roby and they're winning gold she gets third haley garmer her teammate gets fourth daily chisholm from Jaden gets five jada clay from text line six lily benson another roby runner at seven danny ruiz from menard at eight haley cawthon from eula at nine and emily myla from comstock in 10th spot so congratulations to all the individuals in the top 10 and our top five teams uh, cross country is it's a lot funner to watch if, if people would actually get out there and watch i think they would they would find it much more um exciting than they think it would be i think you're right and i think maybe they have been listening to you about running after your child on the cross country course and maybe they just dread you know they're not gonna run i mean who has, who has the shoes for that, Craig? Oh, uh, well, you, you do chase them down, which I don't have a problem with. I, I will go to, you know, depending on how the track is laid out, I'll go to multiple spots and cheer my son on and, and cheer on his teammates. And like, I've gotten to know Tatum real well, so I'll cheer her on. But I just have to laugh at the parents that chase them down and they're screaming them at the whole time. You got to go faster. You got to go faster. One day. I'm going to watch a kid turn around and say, just shut up. If you want me to run faster, go away. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's what's probably going through their mind. <laughs> it's going to happen one day, Bobby. And I, I sure hope I got my camera out for that. I, I hope you're actually there when that happens, because <laughs> then you can report back. I love that. 
Oh my goodness. Any anybody who's run cross country knows exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> oh, I do. I just remember when I was doing cross country, our coach would ride in a golf cart with a bullhorn. It was horrific. <laughs> <laughs> run faster. You run faster. I'm telling you, that bullhorn was loud too. We could all hear it. Oh, that's funny. Well, let's shift to volleyball where we've got the playoffs going on. Regional quarterfinal rounds are happening Monday and Tuesday of this week. Regional tournaments are coming up very quickly. They start Friday, November 10th. Region 1 is going to be at San Angelo Central High School. Region 2 at Midlothian. Region 3, Billingsley Fieldhouse in Fort Worth. And a Region 4, Brenham High School. Uh, so those are coming up very quickly. And when you look at the quarterfinal round, Bobby and it's just there's a lot of names that you and I have talked about in that top 25 sitting there and, and just getting ready to play. And, you know, we talk about all the travel. What's going to be fun up in Region 1 if some of these schools have to play each other because the travel is going to be crazy in the end. You're right. There was some crazy travel last week. What was it? Uh, Buena Vista and, uh, I mean, it was just crazy. Will Dorado or somebody. I don't know. It was like at the opposite ends of the of the state, north and south, and they're supposed to meet somewhere in the middle. It was kind of like the Chester Medina thing, but in volleyball. Oh, but I got to say, um, there are some a few notes here. Peyton Burrell from uh, Dehennis Cowgirl, she surpassed a milestone with 1,000 career digs. That's incredible. So congrats on that, Peyton. Also, here's a feel-good thing. I just love it when teams come together to support a cause, and that's exactly what Blum and Covington volleyball teams did. They came together and raised $1,000 to donate to Camp Discovery. Camp Discovery is for children who have had or are battling cancer. A big shout-out to the ladies from Blum and Covington. We have put the link to Camp Discovery on the Backroads uh, webpage. Go check it out. And um, keep keep giving to those that are less fortunate to us, ladies. You did a great job. No kidding. That is that is an awesome job there by Blum and Covington. And uh, proud of those ladies. And that that's what it's all about, raising uh, money like that. So we love to see that. Let's go to your favorite thing. That is marching band. And believe it or not, State Bobby is Tuesday. That's right, Tuesday, November 7th. Uh, we've got teams competing in the prelims starting at 8.55. Uh, and uh, since this is your favorite subject, I'm going to let you uh, talk about the state marching competition. Hey, I love the. Have you ever been to one, Craig? I have not. Oh, my gosh. Well, then you don't poo-poo it. Well, I'm because... not poo-pooing it. I love bands. I really do, I, especially in Class 1A, because let's be honest. It is tough for those bands to put out just a ton of noise. This is not like going to to a six A uh, thing where I saw South Lake Carroll about ten years ago, and about seven thousand students took the field, and you know it blew you out of your seat. That's not that is not what happens. But it's really fun to watch these bands put on their competition. Happy and Claude played. Claude did their state routine at halftime. I thought it was a great job there uh, by the Mustang band. So it, it, I love it, especially in 1A. Not poo-pooing it. I love it. But I know band is near and dear to your heart. Well, it is because, you know, as a twirler and almost froze to death in Daryl uh, K. Memorial Stadium when it was 30 degrees and the wind was blowing 40 miles an hour. <laughs> when, During... When you... 
you were wearing nothing because as a twirler, you you wear these skin tight outfits. Yeah, so we I look like I was in my bathing suit out there in the winter, but uh, we got second that year behind Plains because Plains was one A, and you know Jaden was six man, so we had to um, lump ourselves in with one A. But um, yes, it is very dear to my heart, and they are going to march on Tuesday, and I can't wait. I hope it's on NFHS. I think it is because I'm going to watch it. But here are the bands competing on Tuesday, and I'm reading them in order for prelims, and those prelims start at 8.55 a.m. First up will be Cross Plains, followed by Meridian, then Claude, Knox City, Rungi, Erion County, Pettis, Whiteface, McDade, Dehennis, Spring Lake Earth, Monday, Menard, O'Donnell, and Baird. If the teams uh, of those bands, whoever makes the finals, they will compete later in the afternoon. And those bands who do make the finals will be announced by 115. And that's according to the UIL marching band website. Well, a, a big good luck to all of those bands. I think it's uh, great that they made it there. And it is not every 1A school has a band, so those that do have a band find them very, very useful. Uh, and I think it gives them a little uh, extra momentum when that band's playing in the stands on a Friday night. I think it does because, you know, you got like real live music. Um, lots of people are very um, uh, good at playing with the, the loudspeakers and stuff, but it's it just hits different when there's live music from a, a band and they're trying really hard. It does. Well, believe it or not, Bobby, uh, we got two things left to get to. So let's do basketball and then we'll do our heart of the 1A community. But basketball, believe it or not, is getting started. There are games going on this week, scrimmages, games, you name it. It's here. And uh, as a former basketball player, I know you love to see the round ball out there and bouncing in a gym. Hard to believe as uh, by districts going, we got basketball coming up, but uh we want to bring up a couple of rules uh, that people need to understand and be aware of. And the first one has to do with an official's abuse policy. And, uh, you know, this policy came out last year. I don't know how much they followed it, but uh, it's a point of emphasis again this year. And really it comes down to if you're listening to this and you are a parent we have got to figure out how to keep our mouths under control and our tempers under control, because as much as we want our sons and daughters to do well, if we don't have officials in a gym, we don't have games. And that end of the day is how this works. And really, it comes down to if a school gets reported a minimum of three separate incidences for verbal abuse, physical abuse or threats of physical violence, those are going to get filed with an executive committee, and uh, if they determine that your school is not a safe place, they've got seven school days to submit a written plan to detail how the school is going to address those problems. And if not, they no longer will provide officials for your home games, which guess what, folks? That means every one of your games goes on the road. That is the last thing you want to happen to your school. That's right, because you'll be traveling a lot, and with gas prices like they are these days, you don't want to do that, I promise. Many schools have put this out on their Facebook page. That's why we're mentioning it today. Go look. I'm sure it's out there if you want to find it. It's there. 
Also, on top of that, we have some new basketball rules, Craig. Folks, listen carefully because this applies to number one. Don't abuse the officials and the folks at the score the scoreboard operators because if you don't understand this rule, you're going to be one of those screaming and you don't want somebody to look at you and go, they changed the rule, so hush. So listen up closely because this is a massive rule change. It is, and um, it's for junior high and high school, and it begins this year. So girls started games this past Friday. Uh, boys are starting scrimmages because they're a week off um, from the girls' schedule. But here's the new rules to so listen up. Junior high and high school basketball rule change. Fouls. There's no more one-on-one at all. So just get that out of your head. It's not going to happen ever again. Bonus will always be two shots. Bonus will begin at five team fouls. Team fouls reset each quarter. That's a big one right there. Yes. Fouls reset each quarter, and you got to get five team fouls before you get the bonus. And the bonus is two shots. Now, here's an additional information. The scoreboard will show a max of five. You know how it would the scoreboard would go up forever. You could show 20 fouls if you wanted to. No, they're only going to show five, and they will be fouls per quarter. So it's going to take some getting used to, folks. Everybody understands this, but keep that in the back of your mind. Um, I have seen this rule change posted on many 1A Facebook pages for the schools. So if you get confused, go read that rule again. I actually think I'm going to put these two things up on the Backroads uh, webpage. That way, if you want to refer to them, you can go to the Backroads podcast webpage and they'll be right there and you can read them and, and copy them if you want to. Yeah, they will. and. It is going to be a definite change. You know, the one good thing, and I don't know where I really fall on the rule changes as far as the free throws go, but here's the one really good thing. Now there's no, hey, that's the seventh foul, so that's a one-on-one. Oh, now they're in the bonus. That seemed to really give people a lot of of, uh, trouble at times. The referees, the scoreboard operators, where are we at? I think this is a little cleaner. It's two foul. You get two shots, and it begins at five. It's pretty simple. Well, one thing that I have heard, uh, you know, my sister's basketball coach, and she said that they followed this new rule during their scrimmages when they did the live quarters, and she said it lengthened the time of play exponentially. Interesting. She feels like that games are going to be much longer because of this rule. So just get prepared for that. Um, That's what she experienced during scrimmages, during live quarters. So um, it may not be that way once we get used to it or get in the groove or whatever. But if you think about it, you got you got the clock stopped for two full shots. And, you know, some people like to move around and there's lots of time during that free throw if you get two um, as opposed to a one and one. So which is remember one and one is no longer in the basketball language, folks. So get that out of your heads. And it's just two shots after five fouls in a quarter. It will also make it a little more difficult, I think, for squads to come back 
because oftentimes they wouldn't have a lot of fouls and would want to put you in the one and one hoping you'd miss and get the get the rebound. Now you get two shots. So it'll be interesting how many uh comeback victories we see based on this rule change. I I totally agree. I think it's just gonna be it's gonna be fun to see how it all plays out. It will. Well, let's finish things off with the heart of the one A community and the Hermley Lady Cardinals. Uh, had something really cool that they did. And, and Bobby, tell us about it. One of their rivals is Borden County and softball. We all know that softball, uh, Borden County, Hermely, they're always in the playoffs and they always play each other to see who goes to state. So those girls know each other pretty well, whether that's positively or negatively, <laughs> but one of the uh, lady, lady coyotes from Borden County lost her mother this past summer. Her name's Miss Kenzie White. And um, the Hermely Lady Cardinals found out about that. And so they did a fundraiser where they um, rallied support around Kinsey and they asked her to attend one of their Lady Cardinal scrimmages this past week. And she did. And they presented her with a donation. But more important than that, they showed support and love to a supposed rival. And, you know, that's how you do it. That's the heart of the 1A community. We always rally around each other in, in time of need. And Kinsey needed some support. And the Hermley Lady Cardinals definitely provided that. Uh, we're play, praying for you, Kinsey, and your family. Uh, we're going to keep you in our thoughts and prayers. Um, hopefully, everybody listening to this will do so as well. Just want to remind you all, keep being compassionate human beings and make sure you're kind to others. So, Lady Cardinals, you rock. Well done, Lady Cardinals. Well, Bobby, that is a lot to talk about. It is time to get out of here. Next week, we will give you the wrap-up news and notes on the entire by-district round that went on in both Division One and Division Two. We'll talk about the volleyball playoffs and who knows what else we'll come up with, state marching band competition results. You name it, we're going to have it for you right here on the Backroads Podcast. But until next week, I'm Craig Spear with the Happy Sports Network and PressPassSports.com. And I'm Bobby Brown with Texas 1A Fan. Remember, go forward and do good. <laughs>